0: This episode is hosted by Jody Mon Companies. Check out the show notes to
1: follow him on Twitter. Hi, Pinky. Hi, Stefan. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey. Hey, good to see you. Happy to be here. Likewise. Uh, so we are here at KubeCon EU, um, or KubeCon Europe actually, a record-breaking uh, event. It's officially, I think, the biggest open-source event in Europe. Up yeah. until today, yeah. over oh, 10,000 in person, because there's, I think, uh, over 4,000 online, too. And and there was a 2,000 plus, um, what was it, um, queue, sort of like a people waiting, wait list. Yes, yes. Yeah,
2: the fact that this one's sold out so fast.
1: It's sold out. And you can feel it downstairs, right? It's, you got...
2: Yeah, it's so much bigger than I feel like last year, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, crazy. Uh, so here to talk about Flux, uh, the project that you, uh, got his work at. So can you introduce yourselves and, uh, tell us what you, how you were involved in what capacity in the Flux project?
2: All right. Yeah. So, um, I'm Priyanka Ravi. I go by Pinky. I'm a developer experience engineer at WeaveWorks.
0: Okay. I'm Stefan Radan. I am a Flux maintainer. I'm working on Flux for the last couple of years, five years now. And yeah. Wow. very happy that at this KubeCon, we get to talk about
1: flux a lot. The, so, so CNCF, Cloud Native Computing Foundation has a way of of showing the maturity of the products. It, it, it serves different purposes, the, the landscape and the graduation pro- process. But one of the things that it shows most immediately is that the projects hosted in the CNCF move upwards, the system. And that means that the project is being adopted not only by more and more people, but to solve bigger and bigger problems of scalability, in production of, you know, of really complex distributed systems. And well, Flux turns out that uh, it graduated, which is the highest level that any project can achieve in the CNCF last year, right? So congratulations on that.
0: Yeah, we uh, went. Through all the letters, we started in Sandbox. So we were donated flux almost five years ago to CNCF as a Sandbox project. And we slowly moved bigger
1: uh the next letter. Do you remember what, do you, do you have memories of when you went into incubation from Sandbox to incubation? What make it, I mean, there's, there's like hard data that hard requirements that you need to achieve, but what was it like? The memories that you had from moving from sandbox to graduate uh, to incubation? So it was uh, about great, about having
0: consistency in releasing, having a good uh, representation in the community. That was very important. And they can measure that. What CNCF does, it does interviews with Flux users without us being there. Uh, So they get this mutual opinion of, you know how does flux help you in your day-to-day work uh, how is it good for your organization did it uh, uh, increase the velocity of deployments and stuff that flux does right so they get this uh, opinion from flux users and they also do a uh, security audits and and uh, stuff like that which is uh it's not a requirement for uh, for moving to incubation, but it's a nice thing to have. We also did a security uh, audit for before graduation, but it's more about how consistent and how big is your um, community and how do you as a project treat your community? Are you friendly to your community? Are you encouraging people to contribute? Uh, how happy are your users and stuff like that? It's not, it's less about the maturity source code uh impact
1: communities of... build it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So when was officially graduation date? When was that last year? What month? Uh, November. Yeah. yeah, middle November. And so from
0: to the, our road graduation took around one year and some months, uh, it was a very long process. We also, we had to change our governance to better uh, fit into the CNCF idea of how we should govern uh, projects. And we had a lot of help from various um, groups inside CNCF, uh, the security group, the governance group, the docs group, and so on. These are called tags, uh, sig tags in, uh, in in Kubernetes and CNCF. And it was, even if it was a long process, it helps it helped us a lot uh having a better structure of how we deal with the community, how we manage our project. Uh, so even if it was a long process, we, we got uh, many good ideas out of it. Also, the security um, audit that CNCF sponsored for us wasn't only about, you know, finding issues. They they found a couple of issues. We fixed them. It was only one uh, CV that they found it was really impactful, and that we fixed that very very fast. But uh, it also about it was also about an analysis and uh, our source code, and getting our source code into uh, Google fuzzing, the Google fuzzing project, and that helped us a lot because we do CI in our uh, in GitHub, but. Fuzzing is not about running uh, something very short as a CI job, a couple of minutes. Uh, this is a, a long running process. Fuzzing means you have to um, you know test the the flux source code continuously. And we couldn't do that, but Google has this great project, which is uh, open source fuzzing. And uh, the security team that helped us from Ostif to help us uh, do the security audit, they also helped us get into the fuzzing project. And now all the flux controllers and all our libraries are continuously tested there. And we are very happy with that. And every time we add new features now, we also create puzzles for them. And it's uh, it gives us more confidence in uh, you know changing refactoring code and so on.
1: To touch upon that last bit, I think the incorporation of chaos engineering, testing and techniques on the CD side of things, on the scale side of things, performance, disaster recovery on the one side, and fuzzing and other techniques on the CI side of things are going to bring a lot of um, good things to software development in general. So yes, I I agree with you. And to the point of um, that the requirement to move upward towards graduation which you achieved last year and there's nothing beyond that uh so it's the top tier uh i I agree with you that they are not just check marks but actually requirements that eventually change the way you teach uh um, treat your community uh treat your own project releases it, it makes you mature right in a way so so it involves a lot of change positive change for yourself for the community and so forth okay so in fact let's Move on to the source code. So what does Flux looks like look like? What is it made of? What in what programming language has it been built? And yeah, what's the general architecture of what does it look the core of Flux? So Flux is uh,
0: is made out of Kubernetes controllers and we also have a CLI, we have Terraform, a Terraform provider, and so on. But the core flux is basically what Flux does is an extension of Kubernetes. And how you extend Kubernetes? You can do it with Go because Kubernetes is also written in Go, but other, you can also use other languages to create these uh, CRD controllers. Uh, the idea behind it is that you extend Kubernetes API with new uh, API kinds. In our case, uh, we extended Kubernetes with things like you can define sources, git repos, Uh, oci repositories, s3 buckets and and stuff like that Uh, and we also have enriched uh kubernetes with also other uh, abstractions like the idea of a release can be a hand release can be a customized and so on but the idea of you take some code from uh from source and you make that happen on on the cluster and you guide the user and you protect the user from errors and so on you do automated rollbacks, and all of that. And how you express that is through Kubernetes custom resource uh, definitions that we create. Then our users, in order to control Flux, in order to tell Flux what Flux should do, they don't interact directly with Flux, they interact with the Kubernetes API, and they create a a custom resource, it's called, Uh, and that's how you control Flux. So you benefit from all the uh, authentication, a role-based access control, everything that Kubernetes offers. You don't have to build that, rely on all existing features and you can easily, ex- easily, you can extend Kubernetes, uh, with features
1: that. Yeah. So I think one of the, th- the last thing you were saying is that Flux kind of impersonates you as a user within the, the cluster, right? And you manage um, Flux from the outside, right? Which would be defined the, the way you you interact with uh, Flux is defined by code, right? Written in a Git repo, and those orders is what Flux is waiting to be updated so that it takes action, right? So, so you don't need to go with in inside the cluster. You don't touch it at all, right?
0: Yeah, Flux implements uh, the GitOps principles the idea behind this is that you don't have to connect to if you have production system and that's spread out into regions or zones or whatever right so you have more than one cluster you have many clusters um you could connect each one from your i don't know jenkins job or manually or whatever and you uh, kubectl apply and that's how you roll out a new version of your app but this doesn't quite scale and it It's also a security concern, because once you have to connect to all these clusters from an outside system, that means if someone hacks that system, automatically has full control over your production uh, cluster. So what Flux does is more of an indirection. Uh, Instead of you connecting to the clusters, you create definitions for Flux and Kubernetes in your Git repo or in S3 buckets or in a container registry. So Flux does way more than it doesn't work only with Git, it works with various sources of truth. Uh, but the idea is you declare the state somewhere, like a git repo. Then the cluster admin configures Flux once and it tells Flux, hey, look at this repo. I trust this repo to contain all the definitions for application rollouts and so on. And what Flux does, it monitors uh this external source for changes then it looks in the cluster and if it detects a drift between what you tell it to do and what's actually running, then it does a reconciliation. And what reconciliation means in in Kubernetes and flux terms is basically tries to get the desired state, uh, you know, instinct with not one flux, one cluster, but maybe your whole bit of cluster. So you do one change somewhere and it can be propagated everywhere. that's that's the idea around GitOps in a way.
1: Yeah. By the way, it should be mentioned that GitOps is the, I I'm, mean, I'm clients call it a philosophy, but operating model that inspires all of it. And it's not strictly connected to Git and Kubernetes. It's mostly used with those two tools, but it's not necessarily, as you explained, uh, Flux can consume or listen to uh code uh, in in S3 bucket, for example, to mention just one, but also it can deploy elsewhere than uh, So, picky. walk us through the controllers that make up the the Flux, and how do you consume it? Uh, I presume there's a CLI and so forth, and and is there a GUI?
2: Yeah, so the Flux project is made up of six controllers. There's the source controller, which is the one that's listening to your source that you give it, so like a Git repository, OCI registry, whatever, S3 bucket. Um, And so that one is looking in those sources and then it pulls the manifest that it finds there and stores them. And then there's the um, customized controller and the Helm controller. So the customized controller is called that way because it's using customization in the background. So if you have a customization.yaml in your repo, in the directory that you're pointing at, then it'll just use that file and deploy what's um, written there. But if you don't, it'll actually create a customization.yaml and it's like backend. And then it'll just actually um, recursively look for any YAMLs in that directory and um, deploy them all. So that's how, that's the one that like one was saying is gonna continuously reconcile and make sure that it's what is actually applied in your cluster. And then there's the Helm controller, which does um, Helm chart releases. And that is actually using the true Helm API. So it actually does do true Helm chart deployments. And then there's the notification controller, which handles inbound and outbound messaging. So you can actually um, have it to post to Slack or whatever you are using for your notification. And you can say like, oh, a new release was um, released or a drift was detected or whatever you want it to notify on but it can also do inbound. So it can, if you set up webhooks in your Git repository, you can say, oh, a new change was made. So it'll kick off to the notification controller, which will have the source controller actually do a reconciliation. So let's say your interval is set to 10 minutes. You don't actually have to wait a full 10 minutes for the change to um, be And then there, there are two other controllers, the um, image automation controllers, the reflector and the automation, and what those do is basically work together to check like an image repository, registry. Um, if there's a new latest image that's out there, it will actually update your YAMLs that you have set in um, your Git repo. So you can set that up to make sure that your YAMLs are always bring to the latest image that you want it. And you can specify that so if you don't want like changes, then you can have it using reflectors. You can say like you know just minor or patch. So that's a really neat feature as well.
0: It's a semver range, uh, so it works in, in in two ways. You can what? Why we build these controllers, uh, the image automation one, is that if you release often and you do, do not ten releases per day? You don't want to go into the Kubernetes deployment YAML ten times and bump yeah. the version there. Uh, so if you do semver releases, uh, you can tell Flux, hey, watch for the registry. Uh, and only upgrade production if we do a patch release, because a patch release should be backwards compatible, should contain bug fixes and CVs, so you can use Flux in a way you would, in a way that you would use dependable for your uh, code uh, dependencies and so on. It's a similar feature for Flux where you say, hey, I'm running Nginx Ingress, but uh, Every time there is a new batch release, I really want it to happen everywhere automatically. Uh, And the thing is, Flux is a GitOps tool, so we don't change the cluster state directly. So what we do is we uh, detect, oh, there is a new version of Nginx. Let me open a pull request on your repo. We pump the version for you, but it's up to you to merge it. Or you can configure Flux to directly push to the branch and synchronize it automatically. And for example, for testing and staging environments, you can just say to Flux, whatever the latest version is, do it directly and run tests for me after you do it. For example, Helm has a future called testing, Helm testing, right? So you can, when Flux detects a new Helm chart version, It cannot automatically upgrade staging. It will run the tests. Then it will let you know, hey, staging is good. And notification controller can do even more than just notification, and you can use it uh, as a uh, promotion API. And we have a nice integration with GitHub dispatching. So GitHub has its own API where you can call back to GitHub and uh, run actions, GitHub actions. So how the workflow looks like with uh, with with Flux automatically upgrades. On staging, it finds a new version of your application. Let's say you release a new chart for that app. Um, On staging, it will run. It will do the upgrade. It will run the tests. Then, if you have configured uh, a GitHub dispatch notification controller, notification controller, on on success only, it will call the GitHub action, and the GitHub action will promote that version to the production system. And how it does that, it, it makes a commit, it opens a pull request, and it tells you, hey, this version was tested on staging, was successful.
1: You can merge it out to production, and that's how we can drive probability. Oh wow, that yeah. that oh that's fascinating. So just to make it clear to the audience, like um Flux sits sits on the deployment side of things. The 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 leftwards, the maximum leftwards it goes is to the as Pinky said, the uh, image uh, repository the package although it's always images and so forth so uh, this scenario that you described is really fantastic because yes i, I would be comfortable leaving flux full privileges to update any image updates right to the staging environment but to the to promote it to the production environment I would require a full request approval from from multiple sources right but yeah that has fully automated I don't know eighty percent of the process, especially if you release many times, right? Eighty percent of your time daily. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, okay, so, okay. So, how do you how does one use Flux actually? So, you uh, is it yeah? How do you consume Flux? How, how do you interact with it? Is, is, there is a GUI, correct, and a CLI, right? So, yeah.
2: So the like main way to interact with Flux is through the CLI, and so that's where we have um, commands like the bootstrap command which is the easiest way to get started using Flux. Um, So you just run this bootstrap command and it's really easy because if you don't have the repo that you specify already created, it will actually create it for you. And then it creates like a Flux system folder within like the path that you give it. And that's where Flux actually uploads all the, um, the, the files with like the components that it needs. So that's where like the Flux system namespace gets created and that's where all the controllers go. And in there you'll have like the cluster role bindings, like whatever is needed for Flux to run. And then you'll also have like the sync, which is neat because that means that Flux is actually listening to itself. Flux is listening to that repo to keep itself updated. So it's actually an item potent command too, because you can keep running that command. So if you upgrade the Flux CLI version later and then you run that bootstrap command, it will upgrade all of the files to the latest version of Flux. So that way, it, it matches whatever the CLI for when you run the bootstrap. And so you can, it's it's a really easy way to get like upgraded to the latest version, um, and make sure you're always on like yeah the new version of Flux.
1: What about GUI? Any anyone that, that, that like me that doesn't find uh um talking to a machine uh, through commands uh, appealing?
2: Yeah, so that's where we have the Weave GitOps UI. Um, it's not actually part of the Flux project, so you have to install it separately through a Helm chart. Very easy to get up and running though. Um, and through that, you can actually visualize all of your Flux um, deployments. So it has like a separate um, section for your sources and then a separate section for your applications, which is your customized um, releases and your Helm releases. And so you can see, you can go in there, you can like see, um, you know, anything that they're dependent on. You can see um, uh,
0: events. Yeah. If- <laughs> whatever it goes wrong. Yeah, yeah it, it gives you a, a compact view of all the objects that are configured in Flux and also the status of those objects. So how a controller works You in Kubernetes, you have a, a, any custom resource or any any Kubernetes native resource. It has a specification and a status. The specification is managed by the user and that's how the user control Flux. It tells Flux, hey, clone this repo and check out this branch, verify that the OpenPGP signatures of those people are applied to the latest commit and only then trust this commit and change the cluster state. And this is what you put in a spec in a, in a Git repository definition. Now the Flux controller writes back to the status of that custom resource and it tells you oh yes i verified the keys they are okay and i had found that the latest git shot of that branch is this one so this is what we are going to apply on the cluster so what the with GitOps ui does it of course it shows you the configuration that you already you can already see it in git because that's where you store the spec but the nice thing about it is that it also shows the status the kind of status of everything of, of all these custom resources so if something goes wrong I don't know someone hacked your GitHub account uh, it tries to deploy a, a crypto miner on your cluster but it doesn't have the right uh, it doesn't have some um private key uh open PGP private key that's authorized to make that change on the cluster Flux will pull the change, verify the signature and say, hey, this is not signed by who is supposed to have access to the cluster and to give you this uh, error message, and to stop reconciling everything. Now, in the UI, you'll, you'll also see Flux events and the status. Right? So uh, it's really easy to see what's happening uh, across the cluster. And there is also an enterprise edition of this UI, which is called with GitOps Enterprise. Um, that it does the same thing, but not for a single cluster but for your whole fleet. So if you use the open source edition, you can install this dashboard along with Flux on every single cluster. uh, And you have to switch from all these uh, URLs to see what's happening. And if you pay for it, uh, if you want to sponsor (laughs) our GameFlux, you have the benefits of having this single pane of glass across your whole fleet. And from there, you can uh, do a bunch of stuff. Cluster API and so on. Uh, but the web UI, the, the free version is for a single cluster and shows you everything that Flux does there. Uh, it does not have buttons because we don't believe in uh, modifying uh, the state. So it's uh, it's more about a read-only view of things.
2: There's a few buttons is why I hear. <laughs> Um, so there's a couple buttons in the sense that like you can, it, so uh, you, you have like with the source, he was mentioning there's, there's a term called reconciliation and so it's continuously running on this interval, right? And let's say I go and make a change and I'm like, oh no, I don't want that to actually go in. There's a, there's like three buttons. I think that one is that you can suspend the state, like the, um, the controllers from running. And then, so you can say like, don't pick up this new source or don't run customization. And you can also, um resume it, or you can force it to sync right now. So let's say you make a change and you want it in right away, you can hit the sync.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't change the cluster. Yeah. What yeah. it what sure. it tells Flux, go now and fetch a change because I don't know, uh, yeah. you don't have webhooks set up or stop for a period of time because during uh, an incident, let's say something goes wrong in production, notification controller will, um, send a notification, I know, through PagerDuty, Microsoft Teams, or whatever. The incident management, the incident team gets into the cluster, and usually when you debug Kubernetes, you want to modify stuff, you have to change, you have to pause, you have to move pods, and, and all of this. Uh, and you'll be fighting flux. Instead of fighting flux, or having to shut it down, uh, we have a, a feature where you can add an annotation to the You can change uh, a flag and tell Flux to stop reconciling, right? But you stop reconciling, you do whatever you do, fix your thing. The important part is when you are done, you have to port those changes back to the Git repo. And only then you unpause it. Because if you do the changes and you unpause it, like Flux will restore the state and I don't know, uh, the bug will be there be back so uh these are these commands that with offers and also they are in the cli is more about you know uh incident management but on the usual basics. every kind of everything you want to do has to go through either git or
1: any other storage uh, that we support for design that's a single source of truth for flux um okay so this is the native flux we've gone through all the controls it compose the uh, flux project the way to consume it is through cli or the gui that we just explained um but the flux family of you know projects is extended right and you 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 can actually use it from vs code which is the most popular or one of the most popular IDs there is right and elsewhere right
2: yeah yeah so the second gui i guess is um the vs code extension um it's uh it's the oh no (laughs) um it's the GitOps extension so if you look it up yeah um and that's actually a really cool place too it does a lot of the similar things we just mentioned so you can also visualize your your sources your um uh workloads as well but it also has a bunch of new features that are continuously being worked on we have a a couple of teammates that are hard at work at adding features there but you can do kind of similar things you can view the state you can um resume, suspend, reconcile um, there as well. And the nice thing about that is that, you know, I as a developer, I'm actually writing code within VS Code and it's nice to be able to see what the actual status of my my Flux um, system on my clusters are right there within the UI. So you can just make a change and then force it to reconcile. Then.
1: And it's it's funny because Flux feels like an operation slash platform engineer project and yet it's always appealing to the developers right that's why it exists in vs code or at least or it's pushing then platform engineers otherwise to git and and uh, and and the ide right it, it's either or anyway
2: my experience actually and uh, i just to add in is is with um with flux is actually as an end user so i started my journey here working at state farm and i started um, working with GitOps. Uh, i think back in nineteen. and then we, um, me and it of like two other people, we we set up GitOps, um, originally in um, AWS, and we started trying to implement the you know, philosophy of GitOps, and then we um, deployed it onto our Kubernetes platform using Flux. And so it is interesting because you know you have the the platform team that you do have to convince you know change to using Flux, and then also how do you set up your clusters? And we were using called identity um so we had namespaces for each and then you also have to teach the teams how to you know deploy their own tools because they were all self-sufficient in their deployment process and yeah there is like a a, there's different conversations you need to have with different people when you get started using something like Uh,
1: this is an open source project and and stefan you, you have you as a maintainer of the project has have I mean, you're, you're obviously way more relevant, but ideally, you have the same vote that any other contributor, right? In, in a sense, to direct the project in, in a certain direction, you know, where you're just one voice like anyone else, right, a relevant one. So we have a process in place that we
0: adopted before graduation, uh, which is inspired from other people. Uh, community-driven projects, and it's called an RFC project. Um, The Linux kernel does it, RAS does it, a bunch of large projects have this um, process in place to drive significant changes. And every time we... So we have a rule in place. If you, as a user, or you don't even have to be a user, maybe you look at Flux and you say, oh, I would use Flux if we do have this future. I don't know. A program, the Jenkins API. I'm kidding. What? Anyway, uh, any crazy idea? Cloud formation. Oh, you've got that. We will talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So if you want to change something in Flux today, which is not so not bug reports or small fixes or small things, if you really want to add a new API or add a new feature that you know, impacts the Flux way of doing things or has any kind of reflection on our security stance and so on, uh, you need to create this um, request for comment uh, document. We have a template for it uh, where you have to motivate, uh, you have to describe uh, and do a deep dive in how this future, what, why we need it, uh, when we need it, uh, you have to um, showcase different uh, use cases for different types of users. What the developer should do, what the cluster admin should do, what flux should do in the point of automation, and you also have to give like uh, alternatives to what you are currently proposing, right? And this is part of. It's not something that we invented. We've adopted uh, this this type of procedure, and we 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 changed it a little bit to fit well with our project
1: to keep lasik or actually uh, positive in failure so what we
0: currently do we wait for the flux maintainers you know uh, comment on it so if it has no comments then no one in the um, maintainers or no user is in interested in this feature so if you presented it it means like you are the only one who wants it then maybe we shouldn't spend time if only one user from everybody wants that. Uh, it didn't happen. I mean, usually, because it's a, it's a complicated process, you, you usually ask the community before you actually recommend users hey, go into GitHub, create a GitHub discussion, and see if you can, if, if others in the community are interested in, in getting this feature in. Then uh, you have to find a maintainer to be your um, sponsor. sponsor, right? And that maintainer is then responsible to, you know, bring the RFC in discussion in our public dev meetings to, uh, poke other maintainers. Hey, please, you know, today, spend half an hour, try to respond, try to comment and so on. So it's a process that's not, is not fast. Yeah. Uh, but We, we kind of like it or where we are with Flux today because okay. Yeah, so in the end, in order for an RFP to be accepted, it needs at least two flux maintainers to approve it and no one, no flux maintainer to reject. Right, so it's uh, if a maintainer finds, a, I don't know, a good motive, like a security issue, like this changes too much how we do things, and, uh, it's not a project you know, or whatever. Based on that, that uh, RFC can sit there uh, until we find time for it. Or in some cases, I made RFC that I've closed them because we didn't got to a consensus with it. And it's fine. That's, uh, that's the process. But that's how anyone can drive changes into Flux. They have to follow Yeah,
1: yeah. And that, I mean, that is explained by the maturity of the project. I think it makes complete sense. And also, something that we'll move on into a bit is the, that you focus now, for example, in securing the project, right? But before we move on to that, so we've touched upon the ways to consume flux from the user perspective, CLI, GUI, VS Code. It can deploy onto CloudFormation, correct? And Terraform, it can provision Terraform instances. Yeah. So let's finish with that and move on to the security. Yeah. yeah.
2: Something I'm very proud about. Because it. <laughs> we use Terraform quite a bit at state firm Um so there's a a terraform controller now out there it's so it's again it's not part of flux the flux project so it won't come let's say in bootstrap you won't you won't have the terraform controller installed but it's an additional repo that you can find look up terraform controller for flux and you install it through a Helm chart, and then um it, it works the same way basically as like the customized controller or the helm release controller in the sense that it's looking for an object called terraform so you create like the way you create a Helm release, you would create a Terraform um, deployment and there you can specify, um, you know, like if you have any variables that you want to input, there's a lot of cool features within this um, controller actually, uh, actually, um, that follow like the model of Terraform deployments in general. So you can, if you want to have like, you know, a plan and apply, if you want to make sure you want to verify your plan before you actually let it go apply the um, plan, you can output it to a config map and read it and then make sure, and then apply that change so it follows that model Um, there's a lot of things too like so if you're not actually using if you are using terraform but you're not you don't want to use flux to manage those deployments you can actually set it up just notify you if any drift is detected so don't have to let it do your deployments but that way at least if something gets you know for some reason out of like the um, way it should be then it can notify you on slack be like hey maybe you should go check your deployments. and I have a, a couple of demos out there actually on that. If you, if you uh, look those up and it'll show you that you can, you can use it that way as well. Where can those be found? Yeah. So you, um, they're on the, if you go to YouTube and you look up my name and you look at the Terraform controller, you'll probably find it. But there's, a, there's something like I think I've done a CF webinar as well on that too, too.
0: Yeah. The idea here is what Terraform controller does and what the uh, cloud formation controller made by WS is trying to do is they these projects extend Flux beyond Kubernetes. So we under the Flux project in the CNCF, Flux is a tool for Kubernetes, right? Install it on Kubernetes. It can do anything with Kubernetes resources, Kubernetes clusters and so on. But many applications out there are not just made out of Kubernetes definitions. Maybe some Bucket, some database, some cache, some search engine, whatever, and you use um, cloud resources for that. You don't run everything in your Kubernetes cluster. And um, a controller like Terraform allows you to have this consistency where you define your app. So you, your app can be made out of, let's say, a Terraform script that generates the RTS instance. Uh, sets it up, then it passes down to the app Helm release, the configuration connect to that um, RDS instance, and you you store that in your Git repo, and using the Flux the dependency system, you can configure, for example, hey, on a new cluster, you have to run Terraform first, create all these things, uh, verify that uh, these things are in a good state and only then install the application, configure the application to be uh, connected to that. And what Pinky said before about, you know, running telephone controller as a notification system is also a thing that we have in Flux, we have this concept of drift detection. So you have the desired state and the actual state. And con- we we design the controllers for drift detection so they Know what exactly has drifted. And the good part, of what we are trying to do in the Flux project is we discover what, what things have drifted and we only correct those. So you may have in your Git repo 10,000 definitions. We don't, if you change one of that or if you delete one from the cluster, we are not going to reconcile 10,000 things again. We are going to reconcile only those that have drifted. And this is, uh, at
1: scale, uh, it's an important future. Yeah, this is the beauty of Flux. I mean, there's many things, but the peace of mind of knowing that what you're looking at, which you're looking at the declared state, the desired state, you're not only looking at that because that's what you control, is what is actually running. And if you update a minor bit of it, that only that bit will be reconciled is the piece of mind that's beautiful. It's a heavy lift done by Flux, so it's amazing, yeah. We
0: don't do much about it. We rely a lot on Kubernetes uh, APIs. For example, Kubernetes has a feature called dry run, and we use Kubernetes server-side apply uh, facility of the API, and every time we want to figure out, hey, where is the drift? We perform a dry run. That doesn't change in any way the cluster state. We just ask. Uh, uh, Kubernetes to give us uh, uh, how would the cluster state change if I would apply this. And Kubernetes will give you a bunch of objects back. And then we iterate through all these objects and we we create a nice view for the user where we can show the user there's also a flux CLI command called diff, diff, flux-diff, that you can run it also locally and it will tell you exactly this change in your repo will change all these things on the cluster. So one good example is you change in a Flux customization a label, but that label gets applied to many things. Let's say you label all the things that belong to a tenant with tenant name, right? If You change the name in one place. You don't actually know, like, how many things will be affected by that, right? And uh, the Flux div command will... Go to the API server, we'll do a dry run and it will give you back a nice view of, oh, all these resources now have all these changes. And depending when the label is, it can also trigger a rollout and so on. So it, uh, it's quite hard to to understand uh, in a complex setup by j- changing one value what will be the reflection of it. So we, we also
1: have these commands available. Yeah, very nice. That's beautiful. Um, before we move on to the last bit, which is, again, what I mentioned before about securing the project itself, uh, the software, in your experience, and I've touched upon just a few minutes ago about this, lately, and in KubeCon Detroit, and late, just in your interactions with the community, do you do you actually... Um, um, who do you interact with mostly? Is it developers? Is it platform engineers? Is it uh, operations operations?
2: Many. I feel like the people that I've been talking to lately have been a lot more developers. That, like, I've been talking to people, and they'll be like, "My team does this," and so it, that implies like their team is doing it a different way, another team. So, I don't know—is that the same kind of IP? Like, path, Stefan.
0: It's very diverse. Yeah. We, when when an organization adopts Flux, the first people that interact with it are. Uh, SRE type of people uh, people that are you know responsible for running particular system I don't know it's not, right now it's very popular to say the platform team but anyway not everybody has a platform team but you definitely have some people with access to all things and they are responsible for those things to run smoothly
1: exactly so, so uptime of those systems access to those systems and performance no, and, and did I say uptime yeah and performance of they're of the, not slow Right, wherever, if they're called platform engineers, fantastic. If they're called ops, fantastic. Also, those people, SREs.
0: So those people are, are the first one that they try to, you know, find a better model to run a production system and they discover Flux, right? So, uh, those are the type of people who get started with Flux and they ask us a bunch of questions because then it's their role to sell Flux internally. And it's not about selling Flux to their peers is you have to onboard everybody everybody has to be on board with the with the GitOps idea and uh of course developers they are in a way responsible for creating not only docker files but also for creating how the app should be upgraded uh am i running migrations or not and so on is not the responsibility of someone that you know uh make sure the server are safe uh safe. those are the responsibility of developers and they in a way, they have to understand, maybe they don't have to understand everything about Kubernetes, but they should definitely understand the flux model and how you can say, for example, hey, I want run the migration first and only then upgrade the app and so on, right? So in terms of our community is made out of all people that interact in some way with, uh, with with Kubernetes, even if just a dev cluster or maybe a local cluster where you test uh, so yeah, it's very diverse, I would say. Well, I think you followed the
1: complete.
2: Yeah, yeah, so I think was uh, that I was working on the delivery engineering team. And like Stefan said, it was our job to basically get everyone on board, including like compliance and auditing. Cause I mean, we worked for heavily, it was an insurance company, so heavily regulated industry. And so there was a lot of work that we had to do to get everyone on board. And, and we were the ones that basically talked to the um, platform teams.
1: Okay, so what have you done lately to secure the project? I've uh, read about the latest um, updates from. I I read the January and February one, but this has been an ongoing thing for, for the last year, I presume. Uh, I'm mostly interested on in how to how to read and generate an S bomb because you've included S bombs right now in the in the Flux project, right? But 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 more things, right? Yeah, we, we have adopted
0: all the best practices out there for for CNCF uh, uh, workloads. Um, so what we do in Flux, we have a release process. And the release process is quite complicated because we have all these controllers that are standalone controllers. We have CLIs, we have a provider to install all these things if you don't use the CLI and so on. So for us, it was important to give user confidence that what they are running, what they are, you know, you are downloading the CLI, you are running this controller in production, give them confidence that they are running the thing that we are producing and not someone else. So we've implemented, I think, two years ago. uh, So everybody signs their commits, right? You have to sign commits, that's how it starts. How you build trust is every time you change some code, you signed with a cryptographic editing. So when you look at the Flux source code, you can say, oh, this uh, Helm feature was contributed by Hide because here is Hide's uh, signature or this thing was made by Sani, by Stefan and so on. So that's one aspect, right? Uh, but then you create all these artifacts like the Flux binaries, Flux container images, uh, Flux manifests and so on. And for those, we use cosine and the uh, GitHub uh, OETC provider. So all our container images, binaries, all the things that we produce are signed cryptographically. And before you download the image of Flux, you can verify that, hey, it has been signed with the key that belongs, was, belongs identity of Flux organization. You verify that by calling Sixtor or calling OICD? What was it? Record. Uh, So it's uh, a public ledger uh, uh, where all
1: these um, signatures are being tracked. Uh, And this thing will return with a verification saying, yes, correct. It will say,
0: yes, this was signed, and it was signed with this identity. And the identity of the GitHub runner and that identity tells you exactly which project in which repo was built, which checksum, which GitHub action, uh, and so on. But this is just part of the problem. Like you can verify that, okay, uh, the project was, was, was built correctly. And it comes from where I expect it to be. But what, what the next question is what's in it? it is just a binary. Of course that binary has dependencies we use. Tons of packages, of course, from Kubernetes upstream because Flux is very close to Kubernetes in how it behaves, how it does impersonation, how it works with uh, uh, with with and so on. So we depend on on very uh, we depend on a lot of source code coming from Kubernetes upstream, Containerd,
1: and other projects. How many how many lines does actually lines of code does actually Flux have? Because yeah. The Flux functionality comes from many other dependencies and packages, and yet, uh, so what I'm trying to say is that there's, that Flux in itself is pulling a lot of money of many other people, and you need to verify that also and provide some attestation. It, it really gets complicated.
0: Yes, we try to keep our dependency on a short leash. <laughs> Every time we add the functionality, if it needs a new dependency, we are very, Careful with that. It's not only about you know you use a dependency, but once you get a new dependency in your project, the main concern is that if that particular functionality that that uh package or however you want to call it offers, what if does it have a healthy maintainership? What happens if that project gets abandoned? Uh, we can't just tell Flux users, hey, we can't offer this functionality because X project is gone. We have to fork it and take it on our own. So besides uh, upstream dependency to other CNCF projects, all the other dependencies are very limited and we are quite strict with that. We prefer to implement something on our own. And we all, Flux also has a package repo where you have all the share code between all the Flux controllers and all the Flux extensions like Terraform control and others, they use the our SDK, which is called the GitOps Toolkit, which is a is a thing made of many Go packages. It's a, a, there are some abstractions built on top of Kubernetes control runtime, which is the official SDK and how you build controllers. Well, Flux controllers are Kubernetes controllers, but they need to fit into the Flux ecosystem. So you need to be able to issue notifications in the same way they do. You need to work with source control and sources in the same way. You need to ensure you verify the source and so on. So we provide packages when you start from scratch and you want, want to extend Flux. For example, AWS did, uh, uh, did recently launch a disk cube on the CloudFormation controller. And if you look at that source code, it imports like 80% of all the Flux packages. And then the code in that controller is about, you know, CloudFormation is not about flux. Uh, all the things that you need to interact with flux, get the source, get the git, whatever, whatever issue notification is already provided by us through this package. So for all these controllers that we ship and all our packages, we also ship a software bill of materials with them, whatever we release. And we also sign this uh, file. Is then uh, the file format is spdx. It's, uh, it's a format, a format under uh, Linux Foundation. There are other formats as well. We chose this one. Well, we are in Linux Foundation. We are in the CNCF. So it was a natural fit for us. Uh, so every controller, every time we do a release, we create an Nesbomb for that release. We attach the bond to our, uh, on a, the release page. And we sign all these files with uh, Coside, right? So when you download either the binary or this one or whatever, you can verify that those files are generated by. Now, Docker recently added an interesting feature to uh, BuildKit. BuildKit is the engine that powers uh Docker Build, and we we use BuildKit since the beginning because BuildKit allows us to create a container image that has a, multi, a multi-arch multi uh, uh, version inside. So we ship Flux to all architectures. We ship Flux to AMD, of course, ARM64, but also ARM v 6 There are a lot of Flux users who are running Flux at the edge on Raspberry Pis and so on. So we have to support all these architectures because we don't know.
1: On risc five what? No, don't worry.
0: Yeah, we don't have that, but I'm I'm not sure how how hard is it to edit. it. It's all about it. We only use Go code, so if that can be compiled from Go, we, we could do it. Uh, so you generate an SBOM for each one of these an, an SPDX for each one of these architectures. Yes, and uh, we don't have to do it because the Docker uh, build kit has now this facility built into it. So when we now build a multi-arch image each multi-arch layer inside has an SBOM attached as a different layer inside the container for each arch version. So this simplifies somehow the discovery and download of an SBOM. If previously you had to go to the Flux GitHub repo and download the file that we generate and we attached the release and so you had to go to each control repo, find the release page, download the SBOM, then look at it. Now you can uh, use Docker scan, Docker inspect. There are some commands in Docker, and or you can extract it with other tools. It's there in your in the container image, so it's let's say easily. It's more easy to access yeah. that information now. There is a, yet another development that's happening with SBOMs and now github we run on github right everything is uh, flux and now github can generate SBOM for any tag you want so if you browse the flux source code you can you see oh i'm using flux i don't know 2.0.0 rc1 you can select that tag in in github and github will generate uh, on the fly and SBOM for all the dependencies because like uh, any a uh, tool that inspects uh, the Go mod file, GitHub can do that automatically as well, and I'm I'm really happy that you know you have now several options of how you get. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe in the future we'll standardize around uh, injecting everything in the in the container image, so you don't have to attach these things anymore and generate them at the release time because now GitHub can. For every uh, revision out there, it can generate as bomb on the fly and it makes our lives easier. We don't have to generate that during uh, build time.
1: Nice. Well, we're close to an hour of of a brilliant chat. Did I miss anything? Did you wanted to touch upon anything about Flux, the future? we had a talk here at KubeCon about
0: Gitless Flux uh, and where... We are taking Flux and where we are integrating Flux with uh, Open Container Initiative, OCI repos and OCI artifacts. And this talk will be available on YouTube for free in a couple of days. So yeah, if you are interested,
1: where Flux is going uh, on YouTube. It's going toward Gitless (laughs) GitOps. Even if it sounds like like an oxymoron or a contradiction.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. Check out has
2: feelings about GitOps. I think.
0: check out the talk. It's uh, uh, we explained there why uh, GitOps is still a thing because GitOps is, Git is where you collaborate with other humans and OCI is where tools and automation and machines look at. So it's quite uh, there are separate planes. Uh, so we want to Git to remain the tool for people, to, you know, for request reviews or all, all that thing, but um, maybe Flux doesn't have to look at Git anymore and
1: can use this unified storage. So where can they find that talk in general information about Flux and yourselves, if they want to ask you uh, anything?
2: It'll be posted to the CNCF YouTube channel. It should be there. Usually they're pretty good about like right after the.
0: Yeah, we also have blog post on fluxcd.io. Uh, we'll post there. We also have a page on fluxcd.io with all the uh, talks around Flux, not only done by us, but by anyone. If you are talking about Flux, if you have a blog post about Flux, please uh, let us know on, on Slack, and we'll add uh, your talk articles to the Flux website. We mm-hmm. are looking forward to have some kind of index with all the Flux content because there is so much out there and it's better to have like, go to the Flux website and you can browse all the details everywhere. And uh, we are trying to build that library of, of media content.
2: Yeah, he mentioned the Slack channel. So it's Flux on the um, CNCF Slack and we're we're there as well.
1: So. Okay. Well, lovely. Thank you for being with Software Engineer and Danny.
0: Thank Take you thank very you. much. Yeah.